Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. The number of women presenting as homeless sees an increase of 20% on this time last year. We speak to one woman who became trapped in the cycle. Meanwhile, the state fails to deliver on promises of modular housing. And later, Robert Watt, the budget surplus and a multi-million dollar payout for Fox News. We discuss the other big stories of the week with our panel. Do join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. As always, it's hashtag tonight, VMTV. The homeless charity DePaul has expressed concern over the increase in the number of women entering homelessness. The charity referred to some mothers who were forced to leave their children in the care of others to try and access supports because family supports are few and far between. As it stands, there are more than 3,000 women recorded as homeless across the country. That's up 600 on the same time last year. Well, here to discuss this further is Focus Ireland Lived Experience Ambassador, Kellyanne Byrne, Fine Gael Senator, Mary Siri Kearney, People Before Profit TD, Breach Smith, and Gary Murphy, Professor of Politics in Dublin City University. You're all very welcome to the programme. Uh, Kellyanne, I'm going to speak to you first because you actually do have real lived experience yeah. of what it is like to not have a secure place to call home yeah. in your life. Yeah. What brought you to that point, your first experience of homelessness? My very first experience of homelessness was at the age of 16 years. Um, I was in foster care since the age of four months old. And when I became pregnant at 16, um, I my foster parents, you know, threw me out. Um, couldn't cope and the Eastern Helper social workers had nowhere else to put me so I fell through the, the gaps let's say I wasn't old enough to get social welfare um, and to go down that route um, and no foster parents at the time were available to take uh, a young adolescent uh, just about to give birth to a newborn um, so you so ended up in a hostel at that point? I did, I did I ended up in a homeless hostel um, in which it was absolutely terrifying, you know. Um, I was practically a child myself and um, dealing with my own issues, as in, you know, learning about, you know, being in foster care and um, why I was in foster care in the first place and dealing with rejection and feeling so lost and um, feeling like I was different. And then to be thrown out and just feeling like I have absolutely nobody. Um, I, I began to live in protection mode. Um, I had no choice, as in it was either, you know, try survive or it was die, you know? And 
I'm very blessed that I, I, I somehow managed to, to get through it all, but it was turmoil. And that was at 16, but then it happened again when you were in your 20s. It did. So I think, um, you know, my self-love for myself and that and mental health, you know, obviously because what I, the trauma I had experienced and went through, um, I lacked a lot because I didn't have family support. I didn't have the stability. I didn't have what the norm family would, would have had as in as a child growing up. So I then looked, you know, elsewhere and I got into many, you know, different relationships that were quite abusive and my whole self-worth was, was very, very low. And um, I got into a very bad domestic violence relationship um, in which I had twin daughters and uh, one of my twin daughters died um, from cut death. And it, in the midst of domestic violence, so we were, also, we were grieving uh, the loss of my daughter, but also then my ex-partner threatened the landlord and we got evicted. So we were also, we were grieving, but we also then were in turmoil because we hadn't got mm. a home. And I remember we had to go over to the council, literally with the clothes on our backs um, and put all our stuff into storage, a storage allotment and practically beg, like, what can you do for us? Like, it wasn't like I had family, you know, to go to or to rely on or even to look after the children, you know? So it was really, really tough. And I remember, you know, sitting in the council on the, the metal chair waiting, you know, just in hope, in hope that they were going to put us somewhere safe. And we did, we went into a hostel, um, but then again, it wasn't safe. You know, you're around lots of different people with their own traumas and, um, terrified for my children. My children are worrying. They're asking me questions. They can't, you know, be around their friends. They can't go to school anymore. They're, you know, really, really upset and they don't know what's going on. And they're asking me all these questions and I'm, I'm ma'am. So I'm trying to hold it together for them. But also I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I remember being in the hostel and just after losing Jessica um, and I had, my daughter was uh, seven or eight months at the time and my boys were quite small as well. Um, and there was three single beds in the, the hostel. And so that all meant my boys would have a bed each and I'd have a bed. But there was no cot or anything for my daughter. And the fact of losing my other daughter to cut death mm. a few months before, I was too afraid to put her in the bed beside me. So she had to sleep in our buggy while we were there. And it was just traumatic. Trauma you know? on top of trauma, on top of more trauma. Absolutely. And even when you had been with your partner, because you didn't have your own home, you were in rented accommodation, yeah. you moved, is it right, 11 times over eight years. Absolutely, yeah. So there was, there was no stability there. No, no safe place. Like even my children were living in protection mode, you know, and even what today. What do you mean by that? What, protection what is, mode. What is protection mode, Kellyanne? Protection mode is you're always on high alert. You're stressed, you're, you're around, you never get to have summer. You know, when you go in to your front door tonight and you get to close that front door, you know you're in, you know you're safe, you can take down, you know, your guard, you can relax, you can refill your cup, 
you know, that's your place to rest. When you're homeless, you don't have that safety. You don't have boundaries. You don't have anywhere to go and to refill yourself, you know. Um, you don't Even know who you you're have, a, You know, you have a bed, you have cooking facilities, there is a roof over you, you're off yeah. the street, but it's not a home. It's not. You're around so many other people who have so many different issues themselves. And, you know, mental health and then some people have addiction problems and that was their way to cope. But, like, everybody needs a safe place. They need stability. They need a place that feels they feel loved. They need, you know, connection. And, like, we're in our forever home now, please God, over seven years. And just the change, like, in... Like, I'm a great example to government and policy policymakers of... This is what happens, like, to uh, give a family a home and watch them thrive. Like, I, I've just completed a, a few months ago, a, probably a year ago now, um, a, a diploma in psychology and counselling. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a great role model now in the sense of showing my children they can be what they want to be you know, in life and opening up their mindsets. and You have stability now. You have stability. security. Huge. And what does that mean for the children, do you think? For the children, it's having their own little safe place. Like, three out of, out of my four children have extra care needs. My youngest is autistic and, you know, she needs her safe place. She needs her, her, her place where she can go and she can rest and be able to do their homework, be able to have friends in, be able to uh, be a part of the community, feel like they belong part of schools, have an education and, and, and that stability that I never had, you know, as in, in and out of, you know, foster care, homelessness. And yeah, it's so important. It's, it's the foundation of um, a, person's, a person's life, really, you know? Yeah, the foundation of somebody's life, Mary, is what Kellyanne's saying. You know, your life has been transformed because you have security now, and security in the form of a home. And yet we're seeing these figures today, 3,027 single homeless women, up 600 in the same last year. And concerns being expressed by the charity that women are having to leave their children with family members and present themselves as single women to charities in the hope that they can be provided with some sort of accommodation. I mean, that's, that's devastating for this government, surely. Yeah. Well, so this is the, the second time that Kellyanne and I have met. Um, she came in and presented to the, the Children's Committee as well and, and is an extraordinary ambassador for Focus mm -hmm. Ireland and, and also a, a, a testimony to just how far a, a person can come from that devastation, absolutely. And I suppose I, I have spent all of my adult life working uh, to alleviate homelessness, to care for people in homelessness, whether that's soup runs, Building, uh, building services and, and accommodation for people at risk of homelessness because people coming out of care are at the highest risk of, of homelessness um, keeping people in their homes when I became a barrister working pro bono. Um, so from that perspective, absolutely, uh, uh, you know, understanding 
this is devastating. There's no question about it. Uh, and the figures and are going so, the wrong and the, and, way. And the figures, certainly. I, you know, I, I made inquiries today from Waterford because that, that was where the original uh, with the DePaul uh, statement came from. And, and certainly there, there would appear to be... They, they are saying that they've only had queues on two occasions, uh, on two days over, over the winter period, and that everybody has emergency accommodation. Um, uh, but in that, yeah, the figures, hearing, month suppose, on month... The figures have gone from 70 women in February to 73 women in, in March. Um, and certainly for women in homelessness, it is particularly if they're obliged to rough sleep. Uh, and what it, it role is has your party because... played in contributing to the increase in these numbers? So we've got to look at the, the factors in particular that have women homeless. And there are a number of those. Women are particularly more vulnerable uh, between gender pay gap. They're more likely to be in low pay. They're more likely to lose their job. Uh, so that, that so in putting in legislation and, and obliging uh, that that gender pay gap is addressed is, is one issue. Uh, another is looking at the causes of domestic violence, gender-based uh, violence. And... Uh, there have been Helen McEntee has has made has been very determined as Minister for Justice, and uh, one of her big works just before she went on, on maternity leave was increasing, making that that um, that determined decision to increase the number of of uh, places uh, in in hostels around the country, particularly for women suffering domestic violence. And also, then we have now the the special okay. agency and that is priority legislation for I this know, term but the no, the to ensure but and then we've got to go with way. supply 400 p 400 you know new homes are 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 happening every of people are purchasing we have the highest level of okay. supply at the moment okay so you know we we are strong supply 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 is the answer to this um bridge What's your response to this? Well, Paul? just to respond Statement. to what Mary has just said, for starters, I mean, Mary is a member of Fine Gael. Fine Gael are 12 years in power. And this uh, housing catastrophe at this stage, not even a crisis anymore, um, has been under their watch. So I think to deflect off into what's happening with um, the strategy around domestic violence, which actually the government were pulled kicking and screaming into, or just deflect into the issue of gender pay gaps, is wrong. We need to look at the housing catastrophe as it exists. And the figures jump out, don't they? Mm -hmm. 600 more women uh, since last year are homeless. Now, uh, Kellyanne's story is absolutely um, incredible and hats off to her and her courage and her strength and her character to have got to where she is now. Everybody doesn't, some people drown in it. And the cohort that are seriously going to be injured by it are the children. And the children who live in hotel rooms, five children, I have, I'm looking after a family with five children, mommy and daddy, in one hotel room. The two-year-old is now developing uh, developmental problems. She has nowhere to crawl. She has nowhere to be normal. Mm. There's a 15-year-old autistic boy living with a 19-year-old young woman in the same room as mommy and daddy. These are horrendous uh, cases that we see all the time and they are not being sorted out. They're just getting worse and worse and the figures yeah. speak for themselves. And actually, so the DePaul catastrophe is growing. That women, a lot of women, it takes them much longer to reach out for homeless supports. Well, many women hide the fact that they, they need it because they're protecting their children. Mm. They want to keep their children with them. And eventually, if they're not able to... The other issue I'm coming across a lot is women in their 50s and 60s who are losing their rented accommodation and are having to present to hostels, which is 
hugely demoralising and challenging for them. They don't earn enough to be able to afford the very expensive apartments that dot around our cities because the rents are out of control. Um, and they are ending up going into hostels uh, in their yeah. 50s and 60s because landlords are selling the properties they rented for a long time. So I, I, I suspect some of them are in these figures. And I think it's extraordinarily difficult for them. It's sad, but the real catastrophe and the real disaster we're looking at is children. And I think yeah. that the next uh, generation of who do we have to look after in terms of redress now, in the next generation, it'll be the, the, the victims of homelessness. Yeah, because, Gary, <clears throat> while there might be some temporary family accommodation out there, there is, as Kellyanne says, there is no substitute for having your own home. Oh, none whatsoever, and I think this is the government's great uh, failure, and it's its great it, it's its great problem. Um, we see from Kellyanne's story: once you have stability, you can flourish. Mm. I see it every day myself teaching, you know, for thirty years in in, in the university, um, and when you don't, uh, you don't flourish. It's as simple as that. And I mean, we were told as far back as twenty seventeen that the the end of uh, children and women living in hotels was was nigh. And that clearly hasn't happened. The numbers actually have gone the wrong way completely um, for at least five years now. And uh, we've had Rebuilding Ireland, we've had Ireland for All, Housing for All, um, and the numbers keep getting, uh, keep getting worse. And unless something dramatic changes over the course of the next uh, number of months and into years, uh, this will be the government seen as the government's great uh, failure. And I think the electorate will take a brutal revenge uh, on them. But yeah. we see in Kelly's, Kellyanne's story that once the state does get its act together, mm. that there's enormous potential there. For we talk, mm -hmm. Kellyanne talked about going... Um, to, to the counselling course, and you know, I, I interviewed a person yesterday mm -hmm. uh, for a mature student degree who had been in prison and homeless, and, and we've offered him a place. I mean, mm -hmm. there's extraordinary potential there once mm -hmm. the state can cover um, mm -hmm. the, the, the people involved. But it, but it, 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 that that is a huge issue, and it has. A, and like we we see in a story here an extraordinary exchequer surplus, and yet we live in yeah. one of the richest countries in the world, yeah. and we have this like scourge of homelessness. Yeah, and we also see, um, Senator, we see the story in the journal today about modular housing, about this promise last year from Roger Gorman that there would be 500 modular units built by February or March this year. It is now middle to the end of April and not one of those units has been delivered. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, I saw an, an update today from um, Minister Patrick O'Donovan's office on the modular supply, and we are looking at it in a matter of weeks now. We're looking at mid to mid mid to end May or early June uh, for the, that supply. They didn't get on site until October. They had to go to tender. <clears throat> there are all of those things that happen. Uh, those, so there, there are realities. Units. How many of those will be delivered by June? There will be 200 at that stage. The first phase is 200. There are seven sites around the country. Uh, all of those sites are additional mm. sites to those that are ring fenced for, for housing for all. Uh, it just so there are sites there. It just doesn't fill people with confidence, though, does it, Breach? When you see I, I a target of 500 it, modular to, units that we've been we, talking we about for nearly a year, we can't deny the reality that things actually take time. It's a, little, a, litany, it's a litany of failure of reaching targets and delivering on promises. It's not just one or two instances, a litany of it. And it's more of it. And, um, but in fairness, they did beat their targets that they set last year in terms of 30,000 new homes. So they do reach some targets. Yeah, but the problem is that most of them are not social and affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And the people who are in homeless accommodation who are being made homeless require social, in other words, public and affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And we're not reaching nowhere near our targets on these things. Um, and you know the ones that, another cohort that really suffering 
very much related to Kellyanne's life and story, are women who suffer domestic violence. Mm. They have to stay in abusive relationships mm. because they've nowhere else to go. We peppered around Ballyfermot and Cherry Orchard with this situation. And I know Hazel Dunortoon, you've had her a good few times on the show on this issue. She's done work with the council at least to get a liaison officer on it. But women who suffer domestic violence are silent. They're terrified. They're terrified of their partners. They're terrified of the situation they live in. But they're more terrified to go homeless. This is more of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. Gary, do you accept what Mary's saying there that, look, it, it takes longer perhaps than people would expect. 500 modular units, OK, they were promised for February and March. It'll be June, we'll see 200. But they didn't get on site till October. There's a tendering process. It takes longer than perhaps people realise. I do accept it, but only to a certain extent. Um... It's not often I agree with Breed Smith, but I do in this situation. Fianna Gael have been in power since 2011. I mean, that is 12 years. That is a very yeah. long time. And the statistics on speak, uh, speak for themselves. Now, we know, to know of course, the, the, the barbarous war in, uh, in Ukraine uh, caused by the Russians has, a, you know, we have now 70,000 uh, Ukrainians looking for accommodation in Ireland. So that's a huge uh, problem on top of the, um, what we call the domestic uh, homeless crisis. Um, so I do have some sympathy uh, for the government, but you, you cannot go back to the electorate year after year and say, you know, give us more time. I mean, there does come a time when, uh, you know, the houses have to be built. And, and I take the point about uh, supply and I take the point about difficulties with uh, planning permission and the cost of materials. Um, but at the end of the day, this is on the government's watch. Yeah, yeah, Kellyanne, I, I want to give, sorry, the final... I know, but we, we cannot completely gaslight the fact that there was an economic crash that within those years of 2011 for a good number of years for where the economy was actually completely and utterly on its knees and was resurrected by my party in government. But we Trump cannot... Been gone we for cannot. The first yeah, we're, talk, we're talking a decade year, ago now. But we're talking about <laughs> 4.5 billion party. in housing, in housing, is 4.5 billion is going into housing every year. This record figure is going in. There are tenancies and homes being built and delivered all of the time. Okay. I want to give the way ahead. Way ahead. I want to well, give your the final words. Coming up with any solutions <clears throat> to um, Kellyanne. You did get a house now through Focus Ireland, mm -hmm. which you say is your your permanent mm -hmm. home, and it's made a huge change to your life. Absolutely. But has the instability that you experienced had a long-term impact, do you think? It has, definitely. Like, I even see my older boys, you know, like, in terms of mental health, still living in protection mode. Um, trauma. Trauma. Experiencing trauma. Um, it's taken so many years just for them to be able to feel safe. Um, not Let looking shoulder over their shoulder. shoulder. Yes. And to feel like they fit in somewhere and can relax now and fo start to focus on what they'd like to do in life. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I just want to say, you know, really quick, just in terms of, you know, policymakers and government, you know, you are, are making your decisions, but really, like, listen to people like myself who are actually, we are living um, through the decisions that you are making. And like I'm, I'm a voice here today to to show you is that the decisions that you are making are not working. You know, it's causing so much trauma, and not only for like adults like myself, but for our generations to come. Whereas, like the stability, and don't get me wrong, I don't, I didn't just get a house. Like I still have bills to pay, I still have rent to pay, so we don't just get a free house. Mm. But it's it's 
you know, showing my children and it's showing our future to come that, you know, having a home is so important mm. and having that stability and, you know, that's, that's crucial, crucial. And that's a basic foundation fun, uh, right that everybody deserves to have a home. All right, well, Kellyanne, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your story so articulately Thank with us so this much. evening and I wish you the very best in the house. All right, we're going to have to leave that there for now. After the break, the Hutch trial comes to a close. Another Fine Gael TD bows out from the next election and more criticism of Robert Watt. We're going to take a look at the big stories of the week with our panel. Now, it's time for us to have a look at some of the big stories that have been dominating the headlines this week with our panel. Professor Gary Murphy from DCU is still with us, and we're also joined by presenter of The Breakfast Briefing on News Talk FM, Shane Beatty, and former TD and pharmacist Kate O'Connell. You're all very welcome to Thank the programme. Now, first up, the appearance of top civil servant Robert Watt before the Finance Committee yesterday sought to draw a line under the controversy surrounding this economy of former CMO Dr Tony Hull. But it seems to have had the opposite effect, with Fianna Fáil TD John McGuinness accusing Watt of being arrogantly dismissive of the report on the issue. Here's a little reminder of the tone in that committee room yesterday. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Um, hear that particular clip, but perhaps you could read the body language. <laughs> it was a little short of pointing, but it wasn't far off it. Uh, Kate, Miriam Lord had a piece today in the Irish Times. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to read it. I think plenty of other people did because it was the most read piece on the website all day long. She called it a draw-dropping, arrogant performance from the Prince of Permanent Government. Is that fair? Well, I suppose it, it depends on, on what you're looking at. I mean, I would see Robert Watt as being a very capable, experienced civil service. He's obviously held within high regard if he was able to smash through the salary ceiling. Um, the way the Taoiseach spoke about him this afternoon, he appears to have been brought into the Department of Health post-COVID when it was leaching expertise to the private sector. Um, and I don't see anything too wrong in principle with the Tony Holohan appointment or attempted appointment in that, <clears throat> personally, I see it would be, uh, being very important to the future that 
somebody from the Department of Health would have a hand in a university set up for the monitoring of disease to the future if we ever ended up in the same situation. That said, the way Mr Watt conducted himself, it's almost like the opposite of the behaviour of Sir Humphrey Appleby back in Yes Minister. It's the way you don't behave. He treats elected people with disregard and disdain. And whether we think that's right or not, they are elected people and there's a way that people should conduct themselves. So it was very dramatic. It was about as exciting as it gets. It had a lot of key players um, there and the, the high dramatics people were present also. So it had all the ingredients. Is it the end of it? If the Taoiseach or the Taunish, if Michal Martin has, has, um, has faith in him and wants him to continue, I can't see the issue. Um, but it is, it's not a very nice way to conduct yourself. But then again, I wouldn't, um, I suppose, judge somebody on how presentable or nice they are in, in their demeanour. Yeah, and he in, seems to be very capable. In fairness, Shane, <clears throat> you have the right to defend yourself. And he didn't have to accept the report in its entirety. He was allowed mm. to disagree with it. Where do you think this is going to go from here? I mean, do you expect Mark Quinn now to be called in front of this committee and, you know, told to sort of explain and justify yes. the findings? And yeah, she, is she's, that the next step? I think so. She's going to have to go through the findings in detail, which Robert Watt has, has uh, dismissed in a large part and said that he doesn't agree with a lot of the findings. Politically, the story isn't going to go away because Sinn Féin already are blaming the Minister for Health and sort of saying, well, Stephen Donnelly didn't really have a hold of his department here and this is how things like this happen. We saw uh, Holly Kearns from the Social Democrats today very strongly criticising Robert Watt and saying he treated the committee with disdain. So politically, it's not going to go away. I just think it really shows the who really runs Ireland here. And I wonder there's a little bit of jealousy among the politicians because they see the power that someone like Robert Watt has who isn't answerable at the ballot box because he is someone who has an awful lot of power in this country. And I think that's what the obsession with Robert Watt is. His tone is another issue, and that's what Stephen Donnelly was talking about today, that, you know, he was obviously asked, uh, is his position tenable? And Stephen Donnelly said, you can't sanction someone over tone. But you do know, with Robert Watt, that it's box office every time he appears before an Oireachtas committee, because there's that tension there between the politicians and the permanent government. It's, it's almost like he goads them. It's almost like he knows how to rise a politician. I've got all the power, you don't. And he really taps into their sensitivities. Mm. I mean, it's brilliant to watch. <laughs> Popcorn out, yeah. There is a question, though, um, Gary, about sort of accountability here. Where are their protocols and where are their processes and where are they followed? And what happens if they weren't followed? But what does accountability actually look like when people keep shouting about there needs to be accountability here? What, what does that really mean? Well, that's a very good uh, question, Kira. Not one, uh, not one easily answered because committees like the, like the Finance Committee and Public Accounts Committee, Health Committee, they are, are there to hold uh, politicians to account beyond the sort of jousting in uh, in Dáil Éireann that goes on on Tuesdays uh, and uh, and tours. And clearly, Robert Watt didn't want to go. Uh, he looked as if he'd rather be having root canal treatment rather than. Uh, I don't know, think he would have protested as much. Rather than defending his uh, his position, like those of us in academia looking at it, uh, it, 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 it's very odd to put it mildly. So I, I think secondments are good, by the way, mm. in the uh, in, in the public service, and I think uh, Dr. Hulin could certainly have added something. Um, but it was the, the, the big question was around the research funding. Was it just going to go to Trinity? And what about those of us in DCU and UCC and UCD? Could we compete for this funding? And there, it didn't seem to be very clear. Uh, clearly, uh, Robert Watt 
uh, I think was maybe taken aback by the, the, the strong response from the uh, the de chef de camp, uh, Deirdre Galan, who was certainly a woman well able to look after herself, and from Martin Fraser. And he, it was a very interesting. He was both of their first names and said he accepted their uh, bona fides. But uh, what I didn't see about it was he might accept their bona fides, but he still has the completely opposite view that they have, and that really wasn't teased out in the uh, in the committee. Yeah, so what do we do now? Because you have a government that completely accepts the findings of this report. And you have but you have a person who's at the centre of this report and a very senior, if not the most senior civil servant, rubbishing the majority well, of it, let's be exactly. honest. Exactly, so that's a Where very difficult go? situation. And I, I think if Careful they do bring there. in uh, in the author in, into the Finance Committee, she'll say, you know, I, this is my report and, and I stand over it. And I don't think very much uh, will happen. But, I mean, those of us who look at these things and, you know, look, at, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Robert Watts' significant salary that, uh, that Kate said. I mean, just to bring stability to the department doesn't seem to me to be an extraordinary high bar <laughs> to, uh, you know, for, for to, to break all the sort of the barriers in the... Uh, in regards to public sector pay. Um, so I think Mr Watt is probably under significant pressure. Clearly there's tension and sort of discombobulation between him and, the, uh, and Minister Donnelly. Uh, Minister Donnelly, one of his very poor performances uh, was when he was on Morning Ireland trying to defend this appointment a couple of, uh, it must be over a year now. And clearly, you know, he, he, was, he was on where he hadn't been briefed by his Secretary General. And the job of a Secretary General is not just to run the department, it is to protect one's minister. Maybe he didn't get the email. But I can't see previous ministers for health, Charlie Hockey and others, who would have would would, would have really accepted this uh, this standard from their uh, for, from their secretary general. Okay, let's move on to sort of a more. I think it is a more positive. It is a more positive story for government this week. This is this incredible budget surplus that we are uh, running, given the cost of living crisis, the war in Ukraine, etc., etc., etc. Just put the figures into context for us here, Shane, because I do think they get lost to people at this point. Yeah, so we're expecting a surplus of about ten billion this year. It's just amazing the way tax receipts have uh, increased in this country from in the year 2000 it was about 4 billion last year it's 15 billion so as you say it is very very positive but of course the problem is that 80% of what we're taking in in tax is coming from multinationals the reason they're here is obviously the tax arrangement and Ireland is a very attractive place for them to base themselves but like it's 80% is multinationals uh, 11% is Irish multinationals and then 9% is domestic firms so we have this huge reliance on multinationals and the question is, if they walk away, what do we do? So the only thing I will say with 10 billion, you look at a story like we heard from Kelly before the break, the solution that everybody's going to say this year to building more houses, to getting more hospital beds, to improving mental health services is, why can't we spend this money on those services? Yeah, and yet, Kate O'Connell, we see the story this week about, you know, over a billion in uh, the Department of Housing being unspent. The government were actually unable to spend all the money they have. So I don't know if calls for more spending that's, that's in the department going the is going to make any difference. Uh, how do you spend the money on housing if the supply of workers isn't there or materials to build the houses. Um, so there will be calls then, do you think, Kate, for the money to be spent elsewhere on things, for example, like tax cuts? Well, there's scope for that, I suppose, with inflationary rises and, and cost, cost of living pressures on families, especially families with children with the cost of food increasing. Um, that's a, a real pressure on, on top of rents, obviously. But also there's a huge amount of creaking stock, um, uh, government stock in terms of hospitals that are a huge amount of money to heat and maintain. So we have a creaking infrastructure. We're waiting on that metro to come. Mm. The Lewis could do with extensions here, there and everywhere. And obviously there's regional towns that need infrastructure, um, greener infrastructure. And most of that could be sped up. Um, obviously there's the option to pay down national debt. 
But the last time when the recession pinched and our national debt was low, we didn't overly benefit from that situation. Um, and I heard this evening uh, mutterings about a chunk of it going into a long-term fund. But we do have immediate pressures, and I do think um, the retrofitting of some of our older infrastructure in the country, something that's not bedded down into, into current expenditure that can be done, but ultimately will save money to the future. I just wonder, uh, Gary, are the government conscious of having all of this money and potentially putting it into a war chest, not spending it, which isn't actually that popular. It may be sensible, but it's perhaps not that popular. And then handing that war chest over to Sinn Féin if they win the next election. Is that yeah, a difficult... That is, that is a very significant danger for the government. Uh, and, you know, Pascal Donoghue, who put the reins on public spending just before the 2020 general election and got no, no credit for it. Like, so one thing Fine Gael could do, I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, how does Fine Gael differentiate itself? And it clearly has been spending money hand over fist. Uh, COVID obviously is responsible for a significant uh, chunk of this. But it could, uh, it could abolish the USC, for instance. The USC was brought in in extraordinary uh, difficult times when the Troika was in tow. Mm. And uh, it was an emergency measure. Like, and I'm not, you know, some right-wing tax rate advocating for tax cuts. But one of the issues Fine Gael has faced, and it's been in power for so long, is that it, it can't differentiate itself from every other political party who's advocating more uh, and more public spending. And, you know, I, I wrote about this and the Taoiseach talks about representing people who get up in the middle of the day, but there are a lot, uh, significant numbers of middle-class people who feel that they are squeezed, that they pay too much tax. And I think that is an issue mm. for Fine Gael particularly. But if you get rid of USC and it, it has a very large tax, tax base and none of us like paying it, I can't remember the amount it takes in in the year, but it is phenomenal. And then also, if, if, if corporation taxes dry up, then what do we do next year to pay the bills? I mean, well, they introduce the USC all over again. Well, but people have been talking say. about corporation taxes drying up for decades. And, and that's like, the, the, the multinationals yeah, yeah. are like, they're, they're, they're here for a reason. It's not just corporation tax, which we would expect now to go up to 15% okay. over something. But there is the, the, the well educated population, there's our, there's our location. So like, I think it's, it's more complex than what happens if the yes, multinationals are I understand. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to uh, more bad news, I think, for Leo Vrad this week, which is uh, John Paul Phelan, one of his TDs, saying he's not going to run in um, the next election. Yeah. Are there issues now within Fine Gael, do you think, Shane? Because he's, he's one of quite a number of TDs that have either announced or are suspected that they will announce that they are not going to contest their seats next mm. time around. I think there's 10 constituencies uh, where Fine Gael are losing people, where people are going. Probably are issues for Fine Gael in terms of who they attract. I would say the bigger issue is trying to attract younger people into politics because some of the recent announcements, if you look at, as we mentioned, John Paul Phelan, but if you look at Brendan Griffin, uh, Joel McHugh, even go back to Owen Murphy, I'm thinking about people in their 30s, 40s. These are younger people who are leaving politics. So they're not retiring in their 70s after doing 30, 40 years of politics. They're saying in their 40s enough is enough now for whatever reason. I know John Paul Phelan uh, did have a heart attack a couple of years ago and has had to Re refocus his life because of that. But I think the bigger issue is that we're going to struggle to get younger people into politics if we see people in their 40s going on. Mm -hmm. But it does show there's another life outside politics. And you would sort of think to yourself, well, maybe politics isn't a job for life, that it's something that you do for a set amount of years. Before it gets all too cosy, you move on to something else. Do all of these resignations, Kate, reflect badly on Leo Bradker, do you think? Well, it could be just bad luck. I mean, it just could be bad luck. Um, but it, it isn't helpful, I imagine, uh, for the party to have its five that have left from the, the, the current um, batch started off with Owen Murphy and Michael Darcy and then the three in recent um, weeks or months. Um, it's, it's going to be a challenge in those areas to win seats for Fine Gael and that's where, I suppose, people will be happy they announced early. Um, 
But that said, um, you know, Fine Gael won 34 seats, down to 33 then with the absence of Owen Murphy. Mm. It's not really where I'd imagine those that supported Leo Varadkar envisaged the party to be. And all bar a few sort of herniations on, on, on the curve, there has been no major Leo leap since um, he became uh, leader of the party. So you it is a challenge for the party. The and, and like that, they Leo either Leap have to... has been exactly it's just the other way around. I mean, it's, it's collapsed. I mean, yeah. I, Leo Ross is at this point. I was very struck when he, he said that there people are, are, you know, obsessed by the, the Sunday Times poll a few weeks ago, which had him at 15%, which would be like absolutely catastrophic. And lots of polls had him at 22%. 22% historically for Fine Gael is terrible. Yes, yeah. uh, in, in 2011. It's, 75. It's actually uh, a last... 76 seats on about 36% of the vote. I mean, the 2020 election, Leo was brought in. When then there was taken out, let's be, let's be mm. straight about it, in 2017, as the sort of great saviour of Fine Gael, the man to take them to even greater heights. And Fine Gael have only gone one way since. And it, it's, a, it's a hard truth, but it is the truth. They and are still is, in government, though. Still, they are in government, but we, we talked about it in the first uh, section, Kira. I mean, the homeless mm. crisis is killed, the housing is killing Fine Gael. And unless they do something about it, uh, they won't be in government uh, in two years' time. And, and Kate Shane mentioned the difficulty that um, political parties are experiencing trying to get politics to run and you're seeing more and more younger politicians bowing out would you ever run again um well that's that's a complicated question because <laughs> it's not just myself that's involved I have a family and when I ran the first time I had a three-month-old baby so her view didn't matter at the time but my children all now are old enough to read the paper and google me as I found out recently um and that's a conversation for my family. But it is, it, it's, it's not an attractive place to go. Um, but then it's a hugely rewarding um, role to be, to be honoured with, to be elected. And you can make great changes. And some of the people who are leaving have, have been involved in, in positive change in the country. But You do sound like you could be tempted. Kate. But the, the, the reality yeah. is, though, it is tough. But the abuse, but I believe, people, the, the, yeah. the social yeah, media abuse now has really, has yeah. really like transformed, has really transformed yeah. uh, uh, politics in the last decade. And it, it's not an easy gig. Yeah. Like Barry Cowan recently referred to his children, and they're, yeah. like, older. Oh, yeah, and he's, and, they're, yeah. and the Cowans are well established in politics. And like if people like Mary Cowan are saying that, it, mm. it, it, I feel that there has to be something done. It to sounds sort like of a, a change. Sounds sort like of a horrible job. It really does. I don't know why anyone would go for it. All right. Uh, look, we're going to have to leave that conversation there for now. But do join us after the break. We're going to be talking about the Fox News defamation settlement. Twitter's legacy blue ticks. They are no more. And a rocket launch that went up in flames. Stay with us. You are very welcome. Well, my panel of Gary Murphy, Kate O'Connell and Shane Beattie are still with me. Uh, Shane, I want to go to one of the major stories of this uh, week, which was, of course, the acquittal of Jared the Monk Hutch. Um, the, the interest, the media circus around that acquittal was quite exceptional. But I suppose in the days following that, there have been questions raised about the decision to bring the charges they did against um, the Monk is there a forum for getting answers around that decision? I, I don't think it's a public forum. I don't think we are going to hear about this, but there are huge questions for the DPP, both in terms of obviously trusting 
Jonathan Dowdall, which the, the judges said he was a, a convincing liar, was the, the words used, but also the charge itself, the murder charge, because people were wondering, could a lesser charge have been brought? There are huge questions. And I mean, we're talking about spending money here. This was a €5 million Euro trial. An awful lot of money was spent on this. Um, you're right, though, about the media obsession and the public obsession. I mean, just extraordinary. When you think yesterday, the front page of several of the newspapers was the news that Jared Hutch got a haircut. And this morning, it was the front page of... A I think two newspapers or maybe three was that he went grocery shopping. So this is the level of obsession and interest in it. Uh, all you can hope is that for the North Inner City that they're able to move on from this because the Hutchkin and feud has dominated uh, some of their lives for so long now and, and sort of it's castigated them all, uh, unfortunately, but maybe the same light there. So hopefully they can move on from it, but it doesn't cast the DPP in a very good light. All right, and look, I think it's fair to say it is easy to be, you know, wise after the Absolutely, event. Absolutely, um, yeah. So we're not quite sure, I suppose, the, the, the thinking that went into those decisions to make those charges, but perhaps we will hear uh, at some point. Now, to the other side of the Atlantic, and uh, earlier this week, Fox News agreed to pay $787.5 million in a settlement in a defamation lawsuit by voting machine firm Dominion over their coverage of claims that the 2020 presidential election was rigged. Dominion had argued that Fox damaged its reputation by helping to peddle conspiracy theories about its equipment. It was quite an incredible story, I have to say, Kate O'Connell, wasn't it? Because truth at Fox News was just utterly suspended. And that decision to suspend truth was led from the top down because really they said it's bad for business. This is not what our viewers want to hear, that this election wasn't rigged, that these votes weren't stolen. Yeah, they wanted their own version of events. And um, I, I, I was surprised that it didn't settle earlier because, I mean, surely the correspondence between the top down to the person reading the news would clearly indicate that they knew the truth and didn't tell the truth. And then to the side, you have this company who, you know, claim reputational damage. And my understanding is defamation cases are very hard to win in the States. Mm. Company were looking for about twice the money that was, was granted, but I they settled they for that. Two, two billion and I imagine there's no, I don't know who's in the market for voting machines or who your, who your buyers are, but um, I'm sure visited, their reputation... Might be a second hand. Don't do that to the viewers, Gary. Get mm. a discount, um, but... Um, I mean, it, 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 it really could have, have, have inflamed things in the States if it hadn't settled. If it went to full trial, there would have been a lot of dirt out there and a huge amount of questions. So the easiest thing for many people, not just Fox and the producers of the machines, was to get it off the pitch as, as quickly what, as possible. It's not the first time, though, Gary, is it, that we've seen this real sort of despicable behaviour from a Murdoch organisation. I don't think any of us will ever forget some of the details around that phone hacking uh, saga mm. in the UK that led to the collapse of News of the World and yet mm. the organisation recovers and moves on doesn't it? Well it, it does I mean and in, in, in a country like the United States where there are very strong First Amendment rights to have a, have a company settled like Fox did uh, and that's show. the right to free speech the right to free mm. speech yeah that, uh, and uh, and it's very difficult as Kate said to win a libel trial in the United States uh, some people would have been following the Elon Musk trial a couple of years ago uh, which seemed a slam dunk case you know and he was acquitted um, or not acquitted but his um, the the, the, the case really went, went nowhere. Um, so, yeah, in, in that context, like the, the United States is still deeply polarised. Uh, people who watch Fox believe Trump was basically uh, denied of the election by some shenanigans. Uh, and people who don't watch Fox tend to 
think the exact opposite. And uh, I don't think anything is going to, to change particularly. Uh, Fox won't do, they, they won't be doing shows on their uh, on the settlement. It'll happen on CNN and NBC and CBS. Mm. But uh, and my, my view of American politics is that we, uh, we go forward to what is going to be probably a rematch between Biden and Trump in, uh, in 2024 without anything changing and with Fox rowing in behind uh, Mr. Trump again. Um, just want to move on to the last week. She mentioned Lee, uh, Elon Musk there. Um, Shane Beattie, I know you're quite devastated this evening. It's very good of you to come in because you've lost <laughs> your blue twi tick on Twitter. Who are you without yeah, it? I know. I'm shocked you invited me in there that I don't have a blue tick, to be honest. Is it really you? Who How am can I? we confirm? I know. Yeah, I'm part of the uh, the great unwashed, the uh, hoi polloi now because I don't have a blue tick. Like millions of people who had blue ticks around the world. Some people still have them. It seems like they're taking their time today just before I came on, I saw Cher still had her blue tick. But the, the Pope, Pope doesn't. doesn't. Beyonce, I don't think does. So obviously the news is today that the blue tick has been removed from everybody unless you pay your $8 a month. And basically, so you're now on Twitter, when you go on Twitter and you see someone with a blue tick, you know they paid for Twitter. So they're verified only because they paid their money and they gave them their phone number and that's it. Makes it very difficult to know who's who's real and who's not on Twitter now. Yeah, because the idea was that you knew somebody was a legitimate account because they had the blue tick. Will you pay it? No, absolutely not, no. Not, not for a, a subscription service like that, no. And, and not really by the way it's being handled either, the type of stuff that goes on, on no. no. I, I think very uh, few will pay for it. It's very it, unclear it, what you're getting for your $8, $8 a month. No you're you're making really Elon Musk quit a very bad day-to-day -day with the SpaceX mm. Starship rockets. <laughs> Was it a launch of it up and down in the space of Four a couple minutes, of minutes? I think. Four minutes. Apparently. Apparently he was in very bad humour after it. That's it. Well, he, yeah. uh, his bank balance was in a bad humour as well, probably. It's a lot of money to waste. But, the structured um... disintegration did, did a great word for it. <laughs> yes, yes. Make, make, it sounded make, like it was almost planned. You'd almost expect Leo to use it in, in days to come and weeks <laughs> to come. All right, look, we will leave it on that note. My thanks to all of my guests this evening and to Shane, Kate and Gary. But from the late team here, good night, everyone. Take care. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.